welcome back. We are... I forgot exactly what I was going to... Welcome back, my lovers of love. We have returned after a short-ish break. Short-ish. <laughs> short-ish break to, to uh, in, engage in exactly the kind of thing we talk about here, is taking care of yourself. And we want to thank you for joining us on yet another excursion down the stream of consciousness towards the river of... Oh, i got to write these things down. <laughs> you were subconscious. I was. So the, it's not to the, to the river of something or another. Tranquility. I thought it was to the river of... Oh, it's the sea of tranquility. Anyway, well, I'm actually going to script that one of these years. But... Probably sooner rather than later. Because I just forgot exact. I didn't actually think one up. I've been so busy with the last minute computer crash. Last minute computer <laughs> crash. It's a wonder we're here. <laughs> it's like, literally, my heart, my, my, the computer crashed three hours before, before showtime. And I'm quite literally not quite done. But we are done enough to be live. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's, you know, we manage, we manage. All right. Um, so I do want to thank everybody for your patience. It's been a, uh, what, a difficult couple weeks, three weeks, two, three weeks, yes. how long it's been. Yes. But, you know, we said we needed to take a break, manage ourselves, be kind to ourselves, and, and that's kind of what we did. Or at least what I did, anyway. It was more me than, than you. If I had listened to somebody, you know, three, four months ago. It's all right. Maybe. It's all right. Maybe things would have turned out different, but maybe not. You never really know, do you? Don't know. That's kind of the, the, the difficulty in all this. You don't never really know. So, but it is. It's the long-term consequences of living uh, with anxiety and living in today's modern world. And everything is dark in the camera. We didn't have a chance to get the camera all set up right. Anyway, so it's the consequence of living in the modern world. With you know, you've gone a year without accessing some of the tools, your best tools, at managing your emotional, mental. You know, nervous system health, however you want to define it. And without those tools, you can, and you can also fool yourself into thinking you're a little better at managing. If I were to say that there was one real problem, it's hubris. Right? At some point, back in December, what, November, then again, late December, early January, there was points where we actually had a discussion. And I'll be right. We'll just... Deal with it later. And I've got a sneeze coming on. So, you know, and we pushed it off. Rather than, well, no, if you're thinking about it repeatedly, maybe you need to. And you didn't have your camping trip this last summer to unplug. Yeah. There that was would have been perfect. There was no unplugging. There was no unplugging. For the last year. And we and had. And did a campaign. And we did a lot more than that normally done. The complete lifestyle change forced by not just COVID, AB5 on top of COVID. Yes. The whole gig worker assault on gig workers, which is 
kind of why we're trying to do this and write a book and because you can no longer live the life we had built you know through choices not of our own and then I've got my own health issues to deal with it's all that kind of adds up now I'll be fine <laughs> in retrospect <laughs> that's probably <laughs> a dumb thing to think pointing that out I'll be fine. No, no, you won't. <laughs> you big buffoon. That's why you think of these things, because you won't be fine, because you know you won't be fine unless you take care of yourself. But now I'll be fine. I'm good. I'm better at dealing with this now. I'll be fine. No, you're better at dealing with this now. It's why it won't be catastrophic. But doesn't mean you'd not be fine. You know, <sighs> moron. All I can really do is look at myself. And these are tears of laughter, by the way, at this stage, just to be clear. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself hard underneath, trying to maintain it. <laughs> but, man, it was dumb. And what you going to do? You're going to laugh at yourself. So you took the time you needed. Yeah, and so now we're starting to get back into... Yes. Way back into the world, which is you can't do because it's as... You have to do. I mean, because it's as dangerous to stay in that protected bubble that you create for yourself to recover, recuperate, whatever definitions you want to give. But you don't want to stay there either. That's just as dangerous. Staying in that spot, staying in the... Oh, I'm, you end up being afraid. It's like being afraid to leave the house again. I don't want to go back there. You know, that was one of the big fears of the last year is that, you know, this kind of outside pressure of stay home, stay safe kind of meet, meets with the internal pressure that I still have. Uh, stay home, stay safe. And, it, you know, it becomes very easy to accept that. Even though you know that long term it's uh, bad for your psyche, bad for your community, bad for your family, blah, blah continue on but it's fundamentally it's bad for you or bad for me and that's why you change it you have to be nice to yourself you know and we did I changed roles in my community I've got a larger role in my community so I have to you know take care of myself for that as well anyway I got this book to, to write And, you know, how this becomes part of that does it? Or is that just, just telling of the second part of the story? I don't know. We'll have to see where it goes. See how it ends. I haven't actually written the ending yet. Theater, theoretically, the ending was last year when I decided to run for office. That would have been the ending, but maybe not. Or maybe there's a second one written in there somewhere one stage that's a good idea yeah well there's lots of stories to tell it's which ones to tell and how and what you know there's a lot of experience there's a lot of um, self-awareness and understanding how it it's not just me like one of the things I've been thinking about the last few weeks is um I don't see pictures in my head. Like when I read a book 
or even when I remember a movie scene. I don't really see it as a picture in my head. I get an information dump. I can tell you everything that happened, but I don't see it as a picture. When I read novels, I don't see them as, a, as pictures, which is why conversational-based novels, um, theory-based novels are better than, than novels that go into high detail. You know, when you're talking about Isaac Asimov, he's talking about high concept, you know, the details, the color of the floor, the color of the curtains or the carpet, they're not important. So he doesn't cover them very often. He covers the high concepts. And so that's probably why more of, you know, those kind of books are more appealing to me than, say, the Harry Potter books, which are dull, but for me, because they spend so much time painting the picture of, of the world, of the universe they exist in. But in terms of analyzing the data, a lot of it's not relevant. It doesn't matter what color the world the, the walls are. It doesn't matter, you know, if the stairs change. It's not really actually relevant. It's kind of neat. It's kind of cool, but it's not actually relevant. It doesn't change the story. It doesn't alter anything. And so without the visual picture, those kinds of things get filtered out. You know they exist. You know the emotions attached to them exist. You're told. You even kind of get a readout of what the emotions are. It's the only readout is the only way I can. I can't describe it because there's nothing. It's not like you can describe a picture. There's no picture to describe, <laughs> and it's not like it's words on a page because there's no words on a page to read. You just get the information. <laughs> there's nothing to describe. Well, how can you describe it? I can't because there's nothing to describe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just I get the information I need. Even when I think of my mother, I don't see a picture of my mother. I just get all the information about my mother that I need for the moment. It was always a surprise to me that other people don't see that. When people think of their mother, they see a picture of their mother, however their view of their mother is, and then they get everything that follows. It's essentially they view the picture first. Yes, I do. Yeah, and that's completely normal. It's I'm different. I'm the oddball. (laughs) But we don't know how many people do this because no one asked the question. I didn't know. I assumed the whole world existed. <laughs> you know? Oh, but you don't see pictures. And you've kind of got it in the novels thing. So, well, okay, I just visualized. I don't visualize novels. Okay, whatever. But it's far beyond that. It's far, far beyond that. But you don't remember in pictures. Even scenes of a movie, which you would think you would store as a scene of a movie. You'd think your brain would store a scene from a movie as a scene from the movie. But I don't store it as a scene from a movie. I'm, I know what happened in the scene from a movie. It's not like I don't store it, but I don't store it as the visual. Yes. Yeah. It's very strange. And what's interesting about that is if you think about it, how does that change how you interact with the world? How you perceive the world, how you analyze the world. 
Well, conversations for one are different, I would think. Well, you would know better than me. I don't have any frame of reference to, to make that assumption. As far as I know, I haven't talked to another person who doesn't see it. I probably have, and I just don't know. We did. We had one on our show. Was that the... The book. Oh, um, I, his video's on the top of the thing. I just saw his video. I was going through the website, the Facebook page yesterday. Oh. I know who you're talking about. I just can't... The name is escaping the me. The name escapes me, too. <sighs> Anyway, I'll have to, we'll go back and we'll check. But, so we did. We repost that. Yeah, interesting. Well, I know Michael has a friend. My son Michael, he has a friend that is the same way. There's certain, he has to play the leader of the game because the way you guys explain things, I can't follow it. But they can follow the way he does, so he plays. <laughs> because they describe the th- they describe a picture and he can't see a picture so he just so he doesn't I can't play the game the way you guys play because he doesn't have he perceives it differently he remembers it differently he remembers the 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 map cues differently and so you know he can't play the squad game he has to say no I have to start he starts the map (laughs) he always you know he's always the admin or whatever so he can set it up so he can play because otherwise he can't play or you have to adjust and, 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 and you know it's a game he doesn't want to adjust I don't want to work that hard I'm, I want to have some fun so I'll screw it I'm going to play <laughs> <laughs> good for him <laughs> you know <coughs> so why, you know, why not alright so we have to dealing with getting back to our dealing with our anxiety issues We've got, uh, oh, we do have some comments. <laughs> what are the comments? I can't see them. Two patient up here to show some love, to all say hello and thanks for streaming. Heath Betteg. Betteg? Oh, nice. Thank you, Heath. Thank we appreciate you. It. All right. We appreciate the, we appreciate the um, ears. All right, so we had, what did you have on top for us today? Well, I go look for it. I know I, oh, there it goes. Well, I found an article. Someone with anxiety wrote an an article, 10 things people with anxiety want you to know about having anxiety. And I looked this over, and some of it seems pretty basic. But um, um, I wanted to ask you the questions. Okay, so we've got it up on my screen. So the, for those of you on uh, on the podcast, you don't get to see it on the screen. So we're going to have to, we'll still talk about it. But you do get to, for those of you watching, you do get it on the screen. Okay, number one. Anxiety looks totally different from person to person. Well, yeah. Yeah. That seems pretty basic. Well, yeah, it's because... And there's there's reasons for it, not just because the base anxiety is different, it's because our environment when we first started being impacted by anxiety, the way the world treated us was different. No one had any 
any clue when I was a kid what the hell anxiety was. We, the world didn't know. The world was ignorant. And she can't really, you can't really blame the world for being ignorant. But, you know, it was, I used to shy. If you just try harder. It's, you know, all the kind of the things you got from the world. And so you were rejected as a human being, essentially. As, you know, in the 70s and, and 80s when I was growing up. We didn't understand what anxiety was. It was you didn't try hard enough. Or you were just shy. It was a phase or all the various... All the various... Oh, what's the phrase? I'm looking, what's the word I'm looking for? Variations. There we go. Yeah. You know, all the, the various things. They would, all the various labels they would put on students so they could put them in a box and say, uh, and essentially not have to think about them. Yeah. If you just apply yourself. Can't apply myself anymore. You guys are teaching me wrong. Whose fault is that? <laughs> the child's or the, or the system or the adult's? Now, you could actually make an argument that they didn't know. Okay, fine. But still, whose fault is that? Why are you teaching the child? Why are you treating the child as it's their fault when they're just existing in the world? Trying to. But if you're more recent, if you're, say, under 30, your experience through anxiety, as you've had it through a child, would be vastly different. Schools are much more aware. Um, society is much more aware and so while it still could have had some negative impacts on you it's much less likely that it's totally dehumanizing where you're rejected completely as a human being and no one was ex realizing they're rejecting you as a human being no one did it on purpose it's not what I'm saying we literally didn't know better but that's what at least for me what was happening as you go through childhood your experiences, the way you view the world, the way your experience of the world is completely rejected. It's not real. Well, it's real for me. <laughs> I'm living my life in a fight or flight mode. It's real for me. And that's what a lot of people do. Now, how you respond to that fight or flight mode is vastly different. Some people get angry, lash out. Other people hide under a tree and read a book, and isolate. Some people get into drugs and sex and all the various, you know, flavors of humanity. So, when it, not just how they interpret it, but how it manifests out to the rest of the world, it's also vastly different. There's no, no one thing you can say. You just have to kind of be willing to observe and and listen. Yeah, and trauma can create it. You know, not all of us have anxiety from organically from from birth, or essentially as organically. It's who we are. Some of it's it's anxiety was created, trauma, stress, post traumatic stress. It's just as real as a nervous system disorder. This is real. And how does that affect the world? Some people, you know, pick themselves back up, they deal with it, and they go through life. And other people, it completely crushes them. And there's, 
Yeah. The diversity of humanity. Okay. Why can't we just not be anxious? <laughs> That's a number two. We can't just not be anxious. <laughs> Who says to someone having an anxiety attack, calm down, just don't be anxious? Who or, fucking says that? Excuse me. <laughs> no, it's all right. No, it, it is. It's it's why just don't be or like what's the other side? It's don't let your head just don't let your head run away from you. Oh yeah. We'll just not do we'll it. We'll just not do it. As if <laughs> As if I haven't tried that before. Thank you. <laughs> as if I've never if I'd have only thought of that. <laughs> it's condescending. Well it's it's like we've lived like this our whole lives. You think I haven't just tried to not do it. You think that wasn't the first thing we tried? <laughs> it's like, what the hell what kind of stupid moron are you? But it's it really comes from the place that they have no way, they can't understand. They can't grasp their head around it. They can't, yeah. They have no frame of reference. And, you know, it's hard to blame them if you have no frame of reference. If you don't have any firm reference, why are you out there giving advice? Okay. As Heath is out there. As someone with severe anxiety, his hardest issue was learning what the triggers were. For me, people are oftentimes the trigger. People, if or when you encounter someone who tells you what their trigger is, the best thing anyone can do is to respect that by any means. Yeah, if someone's telling you, hey, you know... And maybe you can't actually stop it. Maybe there's some, you know, it's fundamentally part of, you know, sometimes you get to, but in under two people, you have this trigger and say, well, yeah, but I have to do this. You know, you, someone's anxiety trigger, maybe someone else's OCD. <laughs> you know, you can actually end up with that. So what do you do with that? Well, if you both actually understand that hey this is an OCD thing and this is a trigger thing it's not personal it's just the way I'm interpreting the world you know if you a little understanding a little compassion for both of you and you can actually start to mitigate some of these things I you asked me to stop putting my hands on my hips <laughs> I had you know how long it took me to where I don't come in and stand and put my hands on my hips and want to tell you something <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you'd have said, well, okay, it's going to, but I didn't, if you'd have taken you up, but I didn't, after I said, can you try that, you, you tried it, maybe take some time, and I'm sure you didn't Took do it a right away. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the whole point, it, is, it was the, you know, respect. And respect, it's not a big deal to me, but... Yeah, but you know, but if it had been, then we would. But it bothered you, and I didn't. I don't <laughs> want you to be bothered. I like you. I, I want you to be comfortable. Well, and the, the thing is, we didn't say, "Oh, why does that?" I'm just putting my hands. Well, so what? <laughs> it's a lot of times that becomes an argument. No, I didn't argue with you. Why would I argue with you? You're not in control of what triggers you. Yeah, well, I, you know. And I want to be careful because I, you having a trigger does not require other people have respond to it. It's a that's a conflict of basic human rights. Someone who is respectful and cares for you will change if they can. 
but you don't have the right to somebody else's actions. And so it's a very fine line that, you know, respect and compassion and then demanding other people be different so you can be more comfortable. It's a fine line. Well, you weren't demanding. No, don't. I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about in general. In general. It's a very uh, fine uh, line. Uh, it is a fine line. It's a very fine line, and it's very easy to cross. It's very... Uh, and it becomes... I see what you're saying. And you, you allow yourself to become essentially a victim, or you allow yourself to victimize other people. You know, now you've made other people uncomfortable. You know, now, it's, now you're triggering them, essentially, on accident. And... and you know, can we stop hurt, accidentally hurting people? Is essentially just, <laughs> just as we're getting through life, as we're trying to make ourselves as comfortable as possible. Don't do the same thing to others. You know, be the where. Be aware to have that same compassion for others that you ask for yourself. I think is the you know because you may be triggering somebody else as well. You're mentoring a trigger may be a trigger. You don't know. You know. They could be feeling like you're imposing something on them. Like they're being controlled. And they may have had a childhood where they were, every aspect of their life was controlled. And you could send them off onto a, you know. Because their head's spinning. Yeah. And all over because, you, you know, you accidentally. You didn't intend to. And he says... You mean you accidentally, hey, can you not wash the dishes at 3 a.m. for me? Because it, you know, you know, it could be something basic and something simple that's relatively rational, but it triggers somebody else. You know, you, my, it triggers me at washing the dishes at 3 a.m. because my abusive stepfather would come home and wash dishes at, at 3 a.m. And the other person, well, yeah, but I always had to wash dishes according to this other person's schedule. And <laughs> it drove me crazy having to do it for 12 years. And, you could end up with this kind of thing. And completely accidentally smashing into each other's triggers. I, I, just, I just think we need to be compassionate for not just ourselves, but for others. So, there's a difference between feeling anxious and having anxiety. Everyone, at least I think everyone, feels anxious sometimes. When you're having a big presentation at work or you're moving to a new apartment or you're breaking up with the person you've been dating, it's normal to feel a little anxious. Yeah, but the anxiety disorders, anxiety issues that kind of carry on throughout your life, it's, a, it's pervasive. It doesn't end when the event ends. You can't go home and watch a movie and brush it off but it's not how it works well this is often anxiety disorders involves repeated episodes of sudden feelings of intense anxiety and fear or terror that reaches a peak within minutes panic attacks yeah well but there's also pervasive anxiety it simply doesn't stop everything creates anxiety issues That's the things I don't think people understand, even because no one wants to. Just, no one wants to tell everybody. Ah, I'm anxious all the time. Everything. Every time you open the damn door, you get anxious. You don't even want to tell that to yourself because you start. You don't want to live like that. But it's true. But if you kind of tell yourself that, it kind of makes it real. 
And so you can kind of ignore the low-grade anxiety if you don't acknowledge it. It's a very strange thing. But, you know, does a fish know it's wet? At some point, it just becomes how life is. And you don't notice it until it's too late that it's become, you know, we experience it as having to take a quick break. <laughs> yes. After a year and a half or whatever it is. I mean, you shouldn't have. Anyway, but that's how these things manifest themselves differently. It's, so you always want to be careful. You know, everybody feels anxious. Everybody may even have, at some level, a panic attack. You know, if you've got a presentation you're not quite prepared for, you may very well have a panic attack. But it's the pervasive nature of anxiety issues that I think we need to be more careful of. Did we get another comment? That was... Okay. Okay, number four. Just because you can't see someone's anxiety doesn't mean it's not there. Yeah. I hardly, I rarely see it on you. Yeah, well, it's because there's reasons for that. It's because, one, you get good at it. Not, You don't want to live like that. You don't want to continually acknowledge how, you don't want to tell people and continually live in an anxious state. It's depressing. It makes it harder than it already is. You want to be normal. You want to live as normal as possible. And you can't do that if you're always not being normal. So it's kind of those things. You fake it till you make it. And it's not really faking. It's... I don't like the word compartmentalizing, but it's, you've put it in its it's off doing its own thing in its own corner of the head, and you're off existing its own thing in your own corner of the head, and it only interferes with each other when you're having a bad day. You kind of know it exists, and you kind of know what is going on there, but as long as you can, you're feeling good. It's fine. It's you know, it's like the crazy uncle in the basement. What do you care? You know, unless he gets to the freaking basement door and starts running through the house. You know, I'm trying to think of some way to describe it, but again, I don't see pictures, so I'm just trying to guess. <laughs> Crazy uncle. I don't know. What do you want from me? Because there's this duality to you, but it's not really a duality. Because you get you start talking to dualities to psychologists, and you start and you start a second. No, no, it's not separate people. It's separate thought streams. It's not like it's not, it's different frames of mind. Not even different frames of mind. It's different. It's, it's like having a computer processor. Best way I can think of describe is like a computer processor. The old computer processors just had one processing stream, right? It's one. They could do one set of calculations. They're very fast, but they could do one. They could only add two plus two. And then they could add 16 plus 16. And then they did this, did one calculation at a time very fast. And the way I look at it is I've got a multi-threaded processor that's doing different things. you got one over here doing this stuff. And you got one over here doing this stuff. And one over there doing, you know, that stuff like the file clerk filing crap away into long-term storage or whatever. Right? They're all just kind of doing their own thing. And every now and again, they 
smash into each other and crap happens. <laughs> you know, the, the file clerk gets backed up because this guy's working too fast. You know, whatever it is, whatever kind of metaphor you want to use, something happens. If, if I actually wanted to describe what happened in the, my most recent episode, this is the file clerk guy, the guy who puts all the things in storage, got overloaded. He says, hey, you guys have put too much information in here. I need to time out. <laughs> you guys got to stop putting stuff in so I can file all this crap and cross-reference and do all the crap I need to do. I had to kind of make a, try to paint a picture. Paint a picture, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. There's just this, there's this, you know, this poor librarian trying to, you know, put away all this information over the last year or whatever and cross-reference it and get all, and, you, but, you know, I keep throwing more stuff at him. I can't keep up anymore. Stop it. I'm, no. Closed. <laughs> Closed for inventory, right? <laughs> Taking some time out. That's the best way I can describe it. Because it wasn't like a nervous breakdown like I've had in the past. I wouldn't call it that. I wouldn't go that far. I would have headed to one if I hadn't done anything about it. But it wasn't. Anyway, enough about me. There's a ton of guilt that comes along with anxiety. Okay, we're going to come right back and do this. We have to create a uh, space for our sponsor. back and we're back number five there's a ton of guilt that comes along with anxiety okay now we actually heat this got us another comment here oh so if i detach and make an effort to distance myself, it's not that i'm being odd it's at the time it's he feels an attack and his mom tries to prevent us escalating yeah they, it can be hard. He's, sometimes his family, people who are closest to him, who clearly care about him, like his mother, have a uh, have hard time just letting him be distant when he needs to be distant. It is hard because you worry. Yes. And you want to know and you need information. You know, how are you now? What's going on? You know, yeah. Yeah. You worry. Yes. My mother is actually very good at that. She, In a sense, my mother is too good. She waits too long. I could actually... If if I were to give some criticism, not criticism, it's she has more. She can poke her head in more often than she does and be safe. That's what I'm saying. But I, I get on his like you know his mother wants to say yeah she's concerned about you and but she doesn't understand the uh, the nature of what he's dealing with. Yes. And because she doesn't understand, because she doesn't, she lacks a frame of reference. That, oh, what he actually needs is for me to say, not talk to him for 72 hours. That's what he actually needs me to do. And if he wants me to talk to him before that period of time, he'll call me. He'll send me a text. He'll do something. But I need to leave him alone for 72 hours because that's what they need right now. They need to have no input. No input, yes. Yeah. And that's what people can't understand is that a lot of times we need no input. And when we mean no input, we mean no input. I sat in here in my office in silence doing absolutely nothing for like two days, three days. I didn't do anything. I didn't surf the web. I didn't watch videos. I sat there 
It's what I would have done on the side of a mountain. I just couldn't do it in the side of a mountain and listen to the trees and the wind. And I just sat here in my office <laughs> for three days and then started watching, you know, goofy sketch comedy clips and adding input back in. But, yeah, people don't understand that that's what's needed. Do you feel guilt? Do I feel guilt? When? With your anxiety? This this person does. Yes. Oh, guilt comes with, yes. You, you I don't think you can not feel guilty. Well, because you fail at things. You drop things. There's You want to spend time with people you care about. You want to um, engage in the world. You want to be a freaking normal human being. You want to be like everybody else. And when you can't be, it, you feel guilty. Especially when, you know, your children or your spouse or your, you know, people you care about want to be close to you. And for whatever reason, you can't do it. Now, I'm old enough to understand myself now. And I kind of, for the most part, only feel guilty about the things that I fail. The balls that I dropped that I would have preferred not to. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things I wish I would have handled differently. So I don't feel guilty about having to take the time off. I feel guilty about you know, there's a few emails I probably should have sent before I did. It's that kind of thing. It's not that I feel guilty about needing to take time off. It's I feel guilty. Okay, in retrospect, I could have done a couple of things better. But, eh. <laughs> I'll deal with it. It's nothing I can't be dealt with. It's, it's just, you know, I wish I would have dealt with it better. That's all. I didn't go burn down Tokyo or anything. <laughs> uh, no. All right. Okay, number six. Random things can trigger anxiety. Uh, yes, we're out for guests. Um, send us uh, information on mes Messenger. Uh, you should be able to send me on Messenger, and we'll talk about it. I take it somebody sent us a message? Yes, just one man sent us a message. He loves the topic. Love the topic. See, if you would follow the streams on your thing, you would know. <laughs> we have to get you set up over there. Uh yeah, no, we uh, we appreciate it. Yeah, send us a message on Facebook or YouTube or... Yeah, you're on YouTube, so send us a message on Facebook, on YouTube. God On dang. YouTube, yeah. Yes, he's on YouTube. He tells me where he's commenting from. And send me a message on YouTube and we'll get in touch. Or you can actually hear. You can... Best way to do it is banners, do, do, do. There you go. You can send me a... A tweeter, a tweeter, a tweet at on Twitter at Jazzrack, or you can send us an email at love at late night love us, and me or Lovey will get back to you as soon as we can. All right. So random things can trigger anxiety. Yeah, who knows? It's completely random. And what was yours? That one of yours that really stuck out to me was you were. Paying the uh, car registration for this year. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I was in the middle of recovery. Who the hell knows what that was about? <laughs> I gave up. Everything I... It was just one of those random things. 
you pay sitting down paying the car insurance, not the car insurance, the car registration. It was like three days late, but I had budgeted plenty of money for it, and it was I'd even less money. I was like sixty bucks less than I thought I was going to end up paying, so I was even happy. I. Just, <laughs> <laughs> but yet I middle of it had a panic attack had to force myself it took like 20 minutes to do something that took, should take five and then I ran through all the kind of connections that, okay so maybe what is there anything that issues you, that you know the whole AB5 thing I can I no longer drive for a living and, and all that maybe there's some connection nah it was all BS it was just some random Anxiety. It may not have even been of the paying the bill. I may have heard something outside that actually triggered it, and the timing that was just completely random timing. You know, that's entirely <laughs> it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible that I caught something else, and you know, my senses caught something else. There was a sound outside or inside. The baby was screaming. You know, who knows. But, you know, toddlers do it. Maybe you gave it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there may have been something else. And because I was typing into the DMV website, the trigger went to the website. You know. So it is completely random. And it says number seven. Some, But sometimes anxiety comes completely out of the blue. We covered that. Yeah, but ordering hamburgers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pointing out someone's anxiety will likely make it worse. If they're still early in their dealing with it, a yes. If they are someone who is well-versed in coping with their anxiety and they understand themselves and they're introspective and then pointing out my... Like, for me, pointing out my anxiety doesn't make it worse. It actually helps because now I'm around people who I can at least understand. Understand. Yes. So in a sense, it, you know, it doesn't hurt. But if you're early on, if you're still inexperienced in dealing with it, if you're still trying to comprehend how your anxiety manifests and how it impacts your life and all the various, you know, you're still struggling with it. I mean, I still struggle with it, clearly. I had to, you know, take. But if you're earlier on in that process, then, yeah, it can. And that's what I have to remember. I have to be careful that, when I talk about anxiety, that I'm far farther down the road at, at at dealing with my anxiety and learning how to deal with it and learning how to cope with it than other people are. I'm, I just am. I've been, you know, working on it for 15 freaking years, 20 years with, or whatever it is. But I'm 50 now, so it's 35, yeah, 15 years, 15, 16 years, been working with the therapist. So I'm much farther down a road than someone who's just figuring out that, hey, I have this anxiety issue I need to cope with. How do I do it? Yeah, I have a much different perspective on that. And so I have to remember that, you know, other people have a, you know, their own different path to still go down. Because when I talk about how you as someone with anxiety should be cautious about dealing with other people, you want to be kind and compassionate, it's easy for me to say. But if you're still early on and you're dealing with anxiety and you said trying I'm sitting here trying to tell you that while you're sitting here talking to other people about their triggers, about your triggers, you know, be kind and compassionate about their potential triggers. 
Well, it's easy for me to say. <laughs> it really is. If I think about myself 10 years ago, eh, I may have told myself to take a flying leap. So, we have to think about that. 10 years ago? Yeah. I wasn't nearly as introspective 10 years ago as I am today. You've always been very self-aware. Yes, but I wasn't self-aware yet 10 years ago as I was today, was I? Sure. If you work on it, it shouldn't, and you're less, or if you're not, you're doing something wrong. If I hadn't been, I'd been doing something wrong for 10 years. I'd been trying very hard not getting anywhere. That'd be disappointing. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Hot. <laughs> Please respond if someone reaches out for help. Uh, yes, even if your response is, I don't know how to help you. Let's find you help. I don't know how to help you. I feel completely inadequate, but what can I do? This. Is there, you know, try, you know, you may have your own anxiety disorder and someone may come to you for help and you say, I'm really not qualified, I can't, it's gonna, but you can help, you can help get them to someone who can, can I call somebody, is there anything I can do? Yeah, it, literally, even if you just say, I don't know how to, I, I feel completely lost, I don't know. Well, you know what? They can tell you. Maybe you can work it together. <laughs> Sometimes that shared journey is brings you closer. Well, I know for me, I ask. I ask you. I do what I know. During this, these last couple weeks, I've been... Uh, I keep things away from you. You, you. There's nothing. Make sure you don't have anything in the household that you have to deal with. Everything can wait. Either I handle it or it can wait. And there's nothing that's had to wait. Yeah. You know. But I ask you. I ask how you're doing. Is there anything I can do? Well, that's what I do with you. Do you need me to hang out? Yeah. You're telling me you're having a bad day. Do you need me to hang out? Do we need to hang out tonight? Do I need to shut off the office, you know, disconnect from there and come in here and just spend the night watching whatever? Right. Sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes I do it anyway. <laughs> you know? Yes, you do. But, oh, the horror. We spent an evening together. Oh, the awfulness of it. It's just so tormenting. Oh, I don't know what are we going to do. We usually <laughs> end up watching comedy movies. Yeah, we watch something light because I don't like the the big gory movies that you do. And uh, I know we've never watched Goodfellas together. Yeah, I don't. I don't like violent movies, and so I don't watch. So we end up watching either goofy comedies or. Your sketch comedies or stuff because, well, so we can watch sometimes. We watch the romance movies. The Princess Bride is a romance movie. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> okay, number ten. Whatever you do, don't ask if they've t if we've tried meditation. Oh my God! Well, it's okay for me. I I'm not one who gets offended, but again, it goes back. I'm much farther down. Um, it is highly annoying when you're in your 
first half of the part of of your process in dealing with it. You know, 10 years ago, again, I'm going to go back 10 years ago. Someone says, have you tried? Ah, I, yeah. <laughs> I've been dealing with this my whole life. And then your question is, have I tried this? There's nothing I haven't tried, <laughs> you freaking pinheaded <laughs> but as you become more self-aware and better at dealing with these things and all you kind of learn your way through it, it there does come a different point that you take it for how it was meant you know they're trying to help and you don't know they're lost they're just as lost and they have no clue in their head, and so they've read something somewhere, and so they're trying to relate as best as they can, and you take it as you know, as long as it was comes from a place of caring, then you take it from a place of caring. Well, then I take it from a place of caring. Why am I going to get upset because somebody cares about me? They're ignorant. It's not their fault. Ignorance can be cured. As uh, Heath has said, he's, he feels guilty that he's unable to make those who don't get it realize that his issues are, are them, not are, are his issues, not them. But relating to each other is all of our issues. You know, they have a, as much as you have an obligation to try and get them to understand, they have an obligation to try to understand. Yes. And that's how relationships work. Now, it's great. It's a great characteristic that you want to take that responsibility because you realize that you're the one who's outside of the norm and it's harder for them to understand you than it is for you to understand them simply because you know, you're the one outside of the norm. And it's very compassionate for you to understand that. And you try to view the world through that way. But you shouldn't feel guilty. It's just ignorance. There's nothing to feel guilty about. As long as you're trying, as long as you're compassionate, there's not a damn thing in the world to feel guilty about because they can't understand. They can't understand. It's not your responsibility to make them understand. You know, it's better for you if they do, and it's better for you as a human being if you try. But you're not obligated. You know, no one appointed, you know, the, the world didn't appoint you as ambassador for all of those with anxiety. It's not your job. Your job is to take care of yourself. That's your job. So you try. And you have compassion for those that can't wrap their head around it. Because it's better for you. Not that it's better for them. It's better for you. <laughs> you don't want to carry resentment around. They're just ignorant. And they don't have the perspective to feel it, to know it. It's human condition. Okay, so we do have 
about seven minutes left and we do have one issue we wanted to I wanted to cover and it's here on our screen because I did not like the response it's out of slate and it's one of these uh, sex advice columns she, this young woman just found out why her boyfriend won't have sex with her and she's devastated was this the title and the short is they're in their 30s mid 30s They've been dating for a little, a little two, two couple years. She says the relationship is overall amazing, but they have a lack of sex. But they've had a lack of sex. And they talked about it, and she's put on some weight, and her, and her boyfriend says it's hard to get in the mood because she's overweight. Yes. Bentham, you shallow. Wait till you get pregnant. He ain't going to want to have nothing to do with you after that. I, this I, is BS. I to both. You understand that the same compassion you want out of him, he may need. It may not actually be that you're overweight. He may not understand. More things have gone on in the last year. They've had health issues. They've had other things. And so the, the break in sex, because men are such visual creatures, when he look, he takes it from the first perspective. Now, he, he may be shallow. So that is always a possibility. The only person that can know is her and him. But the very fact that they had an open conversation about this leads me to the fact that it's not. That there's something else there. And that all he understands is when he says he doesn't get the initial visual response and because of that he thinks it's because she's put on weight. But at two years in, that initial voluntary response goes away anyway. Good point. Good point. You're reaching that stage of the of the relationship where you're that's going away anyway, and allow yourselves to work through it. She's gone and now, like many others, her sex life has taken a, a substantial hit over the last year. In addition to COVID, her boyfriend went through some periods of unemployment and general anger at the state of the world. Doing better recently, and he's hoping the stuff like would pick up again. It didn't, and she says he found out why she's gained weight. Now we should also mention that this woman has has is recovering from an eating disorder. Yes. And while she's gained substantial, she's gained thirty five pounds. Two, two dress, dress sizes. sizes. And she also started recovering about three years ago. And he, he feels bad and see this is the whole thing. He feels bad about the admission. We need to work through this. These are the kind of things that come up in relationships that need to be worked through. If you're willing to have a difficult conversation, if he's actually sitting here willing to tell you in a compassionate way, well, look, I'm not finding you physically attractive right now. Maybe it's because of the weight. Maybe it's not. Maybe he got out of the, the thought process. Maybe he's just unhappy and depressed and the most attractive woman in the world isn't going to get his boats off. visually and, and he said their sex life has picked up recently but she's she's still feeling bad about it so maybe he's working through it maybe he's realizing maybe he's hasn't maybe he simply hasn't matured enough to realize yet that hey you know what I actually don't care much about the visuals I care about the person inside maybe he hasn't been confronted with it yes I know at mid 30s you should be but maybe he hasn't 
Maybe this is the first real relationship he has to care about. And, you know, maybe she should dump him. Maybe she wants more than that. Maybe she wants a relationship so he doesn't want to go through that mature maturation process with him. Maybe she wants someone who's more mature than that already. That's her that's her right and that's her you know I'm not gonna judge for that. But if you're a building a relationship, you're both relatively in your thirties, you're both dealing with issues you know, either maturing issues or issues evolutionary issues, you know. Psychological evolutionary issues. Whichever way you're talking about it. You know, she's clearly dealing with some psychological issues if she's dealing with uh, recovering from eating disorders. Yes. And he's dealing with maturation issues. If they're willing to actually sit down and have rational conversations about very difficult subjects, I think that should be encouraged. If they can, yes. Because these subjects are only going to get harder as you get through life. This is the easy shit. <laughs> Believe it or not. If you're in your 30s, in your late 20s, and your 30s, this is the easy stuff. You've got cancer and dead parents and grandkids get, get sick. And this is the easy stuff. If you can deal with this, then you're actually setting yourselves up for having a actually functioning working relationship. And so I actually think I'm encouraged by her letter, not not discouraged. Now, I want to be, be now the cuz the slate response was in any context the pressure to lose weight sucks. And if that's what she got out of it, that he was under giving her pressure to lose weight. I actually never got that he gave her pressure to lose weight. He said he was having issues it's being subtle, attracted to it's her. Subtle. Yes, but he said he was having issues. He didn't make it her issue. She didn't say she told him to lose weight. She didn't say he told her to lose weight. She said, I'm not feeling it's attracted. It's implied. Is it? He's yes. just, do you want him to lie? No. So then what do you want to do? He should suck it up. So you want him to lie? No, I want him to deal with it and realize he's a shallow individual and get over it. He's talking about it. How is he supposed to deal with it? I don't know. Do you want him to lie? No. So, so if you came to him and he says, we're not having sex enough. Are you still attracted to me? Well, I'm having trouble adjusting to your new weight. Do you want him to lie? No. Trouble adjusting to your new weight and I'm not sexually attracted <laughs> to you anymore because you've gained weight. There's two different things. No, they're not. They're said different. It's the same thing said differently. Oh, okay. They're the it's the same thing. It's just said differently. It's me being a 50-year-old man who's self-aware and has been through been through the relationship ringer three or four times <laughs> versus someone who's 30 and hasn't. That's the difference. I know how to say it better. But fundamental, what he, the, the fundamental message is the same thing. Now, if you're 22, it's probably shallow. If you're in your mid-30s and you're willing to have the discussion, it's he's having trouble adjusting to the realities. He's been dealing with depression and anger and all the various unemployment and all of that. And now he's got this on his head. And the very fact that he's willing to have a rational discussion with you is a good sign. 
That's true. I think relationships are difficult and they're complicated. And if we take simplistic answers to complicated, difficult questions that involve human psychology and everything else attached to it, we do a disservice. Those of us in the advice business. I think we should be more careful with simplistic answers because life isn't simplistic. It's very, very complicated. And we don't know. He could be shallow. She could be shallow. Or they could both just be people having difficult times but yet being willing to work through it and that is what I find encouraging it's, I found that they were there's this desire and this willingness to kind of work their way through it and you know I think that's good and I hope that the response is is the response to the letter which I'm not going to get into was shallow and I found it disturbing because it was essentially it was this, the response was that it's all the body size thing it's not your fault and the weight gain that's only part of it I mean, if you're looking for someone who's going to have a perfect response to every situation, you're going to be in for a disappointment. Yeah. Anyway, life is hard. Life is complicated and takes work. And that's why we... Uh, so we do what we do. You can uh, join us next week at 10 p.m. Saturday night. Pacific, and we will be back. We may have something. We're gonna have to do some daily doses recording this tomorrow, I guess. Huh? Okay. So we'll have to come up with some of those so we can catch those live. Maybe our last ones we broadcast outside of a paywall, or maybe not. Who knows? We shall see. And from me and Lubby, from all of you, you can visit us. Visit. Visit us at latenightlove.us. You can send us a message at love at latenightlove.us. And uh, thank you for joining us on our journey tonight. And I didn't write a close, so I don't have one. So from all from me and Lovey, please remember to love everybody. Good, good night. Mm -hmm.